Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Good morning. If you're a visitor here, first of all, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, my name is Matt Prine. I'm one of the uh, pastor elders here at RCB. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to have you here. Um, I've always been a bit of a movie buff. Uh, anybody in here like movies, big fan of movies? Yeah. There, uh, at one time, there were these things called movie theaters that we could go to, right? I miss that. I miss that. You'd go into this big room and there'd be people all around you that you'd never met before and you're watching a movie, enjoying this shared experience. You could buy popcorn and candy and sodas and uh, hot dogs that were about 22% real meat and uh, nachos with this like yellow school glue looking goo all over the top. It was glorious. Um, but, but one of my favorite things, and, and maybe like many of you, <clears throat> my favorite things about going to the movies was the trailers, right? At the beginning of the, the movie. There are two types of people in this world. The people who love the trailers, and then the people who see the trailers as an opportunity to be late to the movie. <laughs> Let's just get this straight. If a movie starts at 8.30, that doesn't mean you can arrive 15 minutes late and still see the movie. That means you need to be in your seat at 8.25, ready to see all of the trailers. <laughs> right? We're, we're probably a house divided in here. I'm sure that there are some of you that that's your deal. It's like, oh, we got 15 extra minutes. No, you don't. No, you don't. How are you going to know what's happening next summer? <laughs> if, they, if they do the, the previews right, they do the previews right, uh, you get like this emotion and excitement stirred up in you for what's coming, right? Uh, you, you see the, these movies that it's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to go see that one. And, and it's giving you kind of a taste, a foretaste of what you're going to get to experience. Um, when I was a kid, there were certain movies that were off limits for me. My, my parents wouldn't let me see certain movies, uh, mostly horror movies about a psychotic dude with a hockey mask or some creepy guy with blades on his hands that would come after you in your dreams. Uh, I, I wasn't allowed to see those movies. The, the problem is, is that all of my friends were allowed to see those movies. And so what I would do to fit in, I would pretend like I had seen the movie because I saw the preview. And then I would pay attention to the discussion, hear what the other kids were talking about, pick up on little bits and pieces, and, and before long, bam, I had seen Child's Play 2, and I could explain to you everything about the mur murderous puppet with a butcher knife. And that was my deal. The, the funny thing is, is that my kids do the same thing now. Now, they're not doing it with horror movies necessarily, they're just doing it with anything. And, and so my oldest son, Jude, when uh, the, the Greatest Showman was coming out, he saw the preview for that. And, and we would listen to the song. Everybody listens to the songs, right? Um, and, and we would listen to these songs. And then one time he saw about 15 minutes of this movie at a friend's house. And, and this was his favorite movie. That's what he would tell everybody. People ask him, what's your favorite movie? Greatest Showman. I'm like, buddy, you haven't seen The Greatest Showman. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And you know, it's, it's, it's funny and kind of silly and, and relatively harmless for us to pretend like we've seen a movie that we haven't seen the problem is I think that Christians tend to do the exact same thing with the gospel. 
You see, we've, we've seen the trailer. We've heard people talking about it. We've picked up on buzzwords uh, that we will parrot back to others. Uh, we have a few Bible passages that we've read. We, we go to church on a regular basis, but we haven't really seen the movie. And we're acting like we have. With a few creative fill-in-the-blanks, we would articulate that we have a firm grasp on the gospel message. And here's my question. If I were to ask you right now, what is the gospel, would you be able to tell me? And if you were able to tell me, would you have biblical support for what the gospel is, or would you just have what you've heard other people say the gospel is? Have you seen the movie, or have you only watched the trailer? Beyond that, would you be able to share the gospel with anyone else? Uh, Would you be able to uh, articulate what this gospel is, or would you just have bits and pieces of of Bible truth that you're kind of regurgitating to them? And, And perhaps the biggest question I have for us is, are you daily feasting on this gospel message? Or is this the class you've already taken, right? It's a 101 class that you passed, you got credit for, you've moved past that. See, my hope and prayer for us today is that we would walk away with a crystal clear understanding of what the gospel is. Whether you've been a Christian for decades or you're not a Christian, you just happened to show up this morning, you came with some friends, you got dragged by somebody, I want us all to walk out of here knowing the gospel knowing what the gospel is. I'm also praying that we would develop a hunger, that we would long for the gospel day in and day out, that that would be our sustenance that would help us to thrive in God's word. And finally, I hope that we would see the gospel as trustworthy, that we would see God's word ultimately as a whole as trustworthy. And, and my prayer is that there'd be somebody in here this morning that would walk out of here with faith, new faith, new birth because of the gospel. So what I want to do is I want to open us up in prayer. I'm going to ask us to do a couple of things. First, I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to ask the Lord to just speak to your heart and give you his word. And in that, I want you to pray for the people around you because there are people sitting around you who have no idea of the true gospel and pray that the Lord would open their hearts, their minds to respond to and receive this gospel message. So I want you to take a moment and do that. And now, if you would, would you pray for me and ask that the Lord would speak through me, that I would say what he's told me to say and that I'd step out of the way so that you could see Jesus high, exalted, and lifted up. Father, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to gather, to worship, to pray, to sing. We thank you for the gospel and the truth of the gospel that transforms our lives. Father, I pray that as we open your word that we would see what you have to say to us and God, that we would respond. May this be for your glory, for your name, and for our good. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Pastor Kevin already read it. <clears throat> we're going to be in verses 1 to 8 this morning. Uh, so if you've not had a chance to turn there in your Bibles, go ahead and do that. Uh, as you do that, let me give you a little bit of background here. Um, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And just to kind of wrap it up in a nutshell, the church at Corinth was a mess. They were an absolute mess. And, and up to uh, chapter 15, chapters for, uh, 1 through 14, Paul has dealt with things like divisions in the church, He's dealt with sexual immorality, uh, believers bringing lawsuits against one another, idolatry, and then a whole host of other issues that he's kind of addressing. And that's where we encounter chapter 15 uh, today. And he comes to the most important aspect of his message, by far. And we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. It says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay, so let's stop there. First of all, Paul opens this chapter with a little bit of a rebuke. This is not like a, a real nice, calm, comforting first few words of this chapter. Um, th- this would be similar to uh, you hearing your mom say something like, how many times have I told you? Okay? You need, there are three very important things to know about that. When your mom says that, one, she said it before. Two, she's not happy that she's having to say it again. Three, if behavior or actions are not changed, you will have what we call in our house consequences. That's where Paul's at right now. Uh, he has already said this to them. He has um, said this uh, not for the first time or the second time or the third time. This is many times that he has poured this out for them. It is not new for them. Um, and, and Paul has been living, eating, and breathing the gospel around these folks for, for a long time. And he says, this is the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, <clears throat> and by which you are being saved. So what does this tell us? This tells us that at some point in this whole process, uh, the, the people in Corinth heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, identified themselves with Christ, embraced the gospel. Something happened where they now were aligned with Jesus Christ. And he's saying, remember that. Remember that. Don't forget that. Don't forget that message. And so the first point that we have today is remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Why does he say this? Because apparently the Corinthians had forgotten something about the gospel. And he says that to us because we are spiritually forgetful people. We need to hear this over and over again. And what, is, what exactly are we supposed to remember? What is this thing that we're supposed to be remembering? Paul points out three things. Look what he says. He says, you received the gospel. He says, you stand in the gospel. And he says, you are being saved by the gospel. This is kind of an ongoing process, that this is not completed. And, and so there's a past, present, and there's a future uh, aspect to this gospel that, that we cannot, cannot ignore. And apparently, the Corinthians had begun to forget so let's, let's deal with these. So you received the gospel. This is a past uh, uh, thing that's happened. This is, this is in the past. To be a Christian, there has to have been a moment in our lives where we received this gospel message. Think of this a little bit like a, a track runner. And, and it's a relay race. 
and there is a baton that needs to be passed to the next person. But before that next person can start their leg of the race, they have to have received this baton. If they don't receive the baton, they cannot proceed with the race. So for a Christ follower, we must have received the gospel, meaning we have taken possession with it, and we would say, this is now mine. The second thing he said is that you stand in the gospel. This is current. This is the present. Christians must currently stand in the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the foundation for everything in our lives and the place where we are established the gospel is not something that we experience and that we move on from. It's, it's where we live. It's where we have our being. It's the medium by which we live. And the third thing he said is that you are being saved by the gospel. See, this is future. This has not come to fulfillment yet. You are being saved by the gospel. Now, you may be saying, wait a second, Prime. Christians are already saved. Yes, absolutely, without a doubt, if you are a Christ follower, you are saved. There is no, Paul's not talking about losing your salvation here and then being saved again. He's not talking about any of that. Uh, what he's talking about is that we uh, have been saved from the penalty of sin, and we are being saved uh, from the power and the presence, ultimately the presence of sin, okay? The power and the presence of sin. When, when we have the gospel, when the gospel has transformed our hearts, the Lord has given us the power to say no to sin and to say yes to God. That, that's being saved from the power of sin. And I get that this is a process, right? We're not going to be great at that from the earliest days in our faith. But as we grow, we progressively get better at resisting sin and embracing God. So that's saved from the power of, the, of sin. Uh, and it says also that we're saved, uh, we are also saved from the presence of sin, meaning that when we come to the end of our lives as a Christ follower, we will breathe our last breath here, we will open our eyes into eternity, and we will be face to face with Jesus, free from Satan, sin, and death. We are going to be saved from the presence of sin. And we must remember that we have received the gospel, that we stand in the gospel, and that we are being saved by the gospel. And again, the Corinthians had forgotten an aspect of that. We find out later in chapter 15 that they were failing to acknowledge a vital part of the gospel. Um, and, and this is why Paul begins this whole dissertation with, now I would remind you. He also adds a qualifier here, which I think Christians tend to get really uncomfortable with. <laughs> you were saved if, right? We get uncomfortable with that. What does he say? You receive, stand, and are being saved by the gospel if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, the qualifier of having security in the gospel has kind of two uh, facets to it here. First, you're saved if you, you received, you stand, and you are being saved by the gospel if you hold fast to the gospel. That is, that you made it your own. You said, This is mine. I'm going to embrace this. this. This is not just somebody's goodness, good news. It's not just their good news. This is my good news. See, simply hearing the gospel is not enough. Simply growing up in a Christian household where the gospel is poured into you day in and day out is not enough. There has to be that moment where you say, it's mine. 
So you have to hold fast to the gospel. The second thing he says, uh, unless they believed in vain. What does that mean? It means to, to believe rashly. It means to not count the cost of following Jesus. See, the gospel demands a response that will have ramifications that are going to last for eternity. Uh, and, and this decision cannot be hasty. It cannot be a rash decision. And I feel like a lot of churches have failed pretty epically in this regard because it's pray a prayer, fill out a card, welcome to the club. And it doesn't work because to come to faith, one must count the cost of following Jesus and then follow. Yet for many, it's not much different than grabbing those last-minute impulse buy items at the shelf at the register at the store, Right? Those things that you'd normally never buy, but you see, you're like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. That's how we treat the gospel. See, the implication here that Paul's making, I think, is that there can be people in the church who are by all accounts great people. They're serving, they're giving, they're pouring themselves out. Uh, They show up for church, but they're not regenerated. They're not saved. How could this be? Again, there's two possibilities. They didn't take the gospel and apply it to themselves. This was not their good news. It's good news, but maybe not theirs. Or they've never really counted the cost of following Jesus, so that what they've done is they've purchased a version of cheap grace, and cheap grace is no grace. Cheap grace doesn't save you. Christian, it is imperative that we remember the gospel, that we hold fast to it, and that we count the cost of what it means to say this is my good news. Two weeks ago, my oldest son, Jude, uh, went to kids camp at Tejas with uh, the rest of the RCB kids, and and I got the honor and privilege of getting to go with him, uh, which was an absolute blast. And and we've been praying for Jude. He's nine. Uh, We've been praying for him uh, since he was born, but more recently praying that he would internalize this gospel message. And, And our prayer was that camp would kind of reinforce that that it would, again, not be our gospel message or his family's gospel message. It would be his gospel message. And so that's what we were praying for. And just to kind of give you a, an idea of what our family looks like, we're trying our best, albeit imperfectly, to pour the gospel, to pour faith and, and God's truth into uh, not only Jude, but the rest of our four kids as well. And uh, so <clears throat> I decided last week uh, after camp to ask my oldest two, Jude and Jace, what is the gospel? And and I think that I expected them to just rattle it off, right? Well, because, I mean, they're pastor's kids, right? Pastor's kids should know this. I expected them to just rattle it off, um, and and they sat for a second, and they had several answers for what is the gospel. And they're not bad answers. In fact, they're biblically true answers uh, of the things that they said, Uh, but they seemed to be kind of dancing around the whole gospel thing, and it was like they would touch it a little bit, and then they'd move past it, and they'd move around it, but it was like they never got to this moment uh, where they just nailed it. (laughs) And again, they're seven and nine, so there's some grace there, right? But it's just kind of a a reinforcement of, hey, what, what do we need to be pouring into our kids? And so this brings me back to the first question I asked at the beginning of our time today. If I were to ask you what the gospel is, would you be able to tell me? See, sadly, I feel that so many church people would not be able to do this clearly and concisely. They do a little bit about what Jude and Jace were doing. It's kind of dancing around it, hitting something here and there, but maybe not drilling what the gospel message is. And I think that's where the Corinthians were when Paul was writing to them. 
Our second point is this. We have to know the gospel. We have to know the gospel. We cannot remember the gospel if we don't know the gospel. Look at verses 3 to 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Without a doubt, this is the most important aspect of, of knowing the Lord. It's knowing the gospel. And, and this is why Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance. He's saying, listen, there is nothing more important than this. This is where we start, and then everything else kind of flows from there. I delivered to you of first importance. This is not something nice to remember. This isn't something that might be helpful, helpful sometime in the future. This is something that you need to memorize. Tattoo it on your forehead. It's that important. Don't really tattoo it on your forehead. Some parents would be really mad at me. See, this is the focal point of what Paul is saying. This is the most important thing he's going to say. So why is he so emphatic about this? He's so emphatic about this because if we do not get the gospel, we cannot have salvation. Eternity hangs in the balance here. That if you don't get the gospel, there is no hope for salvation for you. Let me be clear, if you are placing your faith in the wrong gospel, or if you're placing the faith, your faith in the gospel plus or the gospel minus, you're not placing your faith in the gospel. You're placing your faith in something else, and no matter how sincerely you believe it, it's not going to save you. So this is why Paul is emphatic about this, and let's get something straight. What is the gospel not? We need to understand what the gospel is not. Because I think we've got so much stuff wrapped into it. Let's say this. The gospel is not you are a sinner. The gospel is not you are going to go to hell apart from Jesus interceding. That's not the gospel. It's true, but it's not the gospel. The gospel means good news. That's bad news. The gospel is not be like Jesus or bear fruit or God is love or Jesus was born. These are all True things, but they're not the gospel. Let me explain. Believing that you're a sinner doesn't save you. Believing that you're going to go to hell apart from Jesus doing something doesn't save you. Those are both precursors to getting to the gospel. They're mandatory. We have to go through those things, but the gospel is something else. Those are not the gospel. Those are the things that lead up to the gospel. Trying to be like Jesus does not save you. Bearing fruit in the kingdom of God does not save you. Those are things that happen after you've received the gospel. The idea that God is love is absolutely true, but it is not the gospel. The, the truth of Jesus' birth, while wildly important, is not the gospel. So what is the gospel? Look at the text. It's right there, plain as day. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, he says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. This is the gospel. Nothing more and nothing less. That's it. Christ died for our sins, which, by the way, means that he was absolutely sufficient to die for our sins. That he was a sacrifice that was worthy. Christ died for our sins. 
Christ was buried. Why did Paul say this? Because he was emphasizing the fact that Christ was really dead and not just playing dead. He was really dead. And then Christ was raised on the third day, which means he defeated death. And all of this happened according to God's will, according to the plan. That's why he said, in accordance with the scriptures. Listen to me. Walk out of here understanding that you must believe that Christ died according to the scriptures and Christ was raised according to the scriptures. That's the gospel and that's what you must believe to be saved. That was, that's what must be in your heart. That must be your gospel message because if you have something other than that, you don't have the gospel. And I'm pleading with you because there's so much on the line here. Stake everything on this. If you remove anything from this equation, you don't have the gospel. If you add anything to this equation, you don't have the gospel, meaning that without Jesus' death, there's no payment for the penalty of sins. Without Jesus' resurrection, there's no conquering of Satan's sin and death. And if we've added to dues, then it wasn't sufficient. And it's not the gospel. So if we remove anything from or add anything to this gospel message, we no longer have the gospel and we would still be lost, hopeless, helpless, and hellbound. Paul's making this exceptionally clear because the Corinthians have heard it before, but they're still missing it. This verse, I think, is a Crayola crayon version of the gospel, right? Heard that, that saying, you want me to draw it for you in crayon? This is it. He drew it in crayon. Christ died for our sins, like the scriptures said. Christ raised from the dead, like the scriptures said. Listen, this is not an isolated incident either. And you're thinking, oh, well, the, the rest of the Bible needs to be about this. That is, it is. That's what it's all about. It's all about that. It's all about Jesus dying and Jesus coming back from the dead. That's the gospel. We see this theme hit time and time again throughout the scriptures. Just a few examples. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through, uh, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, his Death is right there. His resurrection is right there. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, if you believe that Christ was raised from the dead, guess what had to happen before that? His death. His death is presupposed there. Death, resurrection. And Jesus talked about this multiple times. Even though the disciples, every time he said it, they're like, I didn't get it. What did he say? He said, and I quote, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, death, and he will be raised on the third day. Resurrection. Look at that. Clear as day. The gospel message. And it says, they, the disciples, were greatly distressed. <laughs> See, Jesus talked about his own death and his own resurrection multiple times. And, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, Matt, this is overly simplistic. There's got to be more to the gospel than this. What about the conviction of sin? What about sanctification of the believer? What about believing that God is all-powerful, that he's all-good, that he's all-loving? Um, what, what about the fact that he is the epitome of love? Yes, those are important. Those are important aspects of faith. 
And it's critical that we address these things with people, but they are not the gospel. There is one thing that saves us, and that's belief in Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. Please don't walk out of here thinking that I'm saying something that I'm not saying. Theology is absolutely important. If you've been around me for any length of time, you know how deeply important theology is to me. I love theology. Here's the deal. I could be the biggest theologian in the world, and if I didn't believe that, I'd still be going to hell. Theology is important, and having a good grasp of what the Bible says is absolutely vital to a a believer being sustained in the gospel, being grown in the gospel, Uh, which is why at RCB we want to follow Paul's pattern in Acts 20 of declaring the whole counsel of God's word to you, right? You know what the whole counsel of God's word is? All of it. That's our task, by the way, as elders and pastors of this church, is to declare the whole counsel of God's word to you. There's 66 books in there. That's a big task. It is an important task. We want to see you move from being a spiritual infant who just embraced the gospel to becoming a spiritual parent who's helping form the faith of those around them and grow them in maturity in Christ. We don't want you to be that spiritual infant 15 years into your walk which is part of the reason that we, we plead with you, get into this word. Get into this word daily. This is why we provided you with a Bible reading plan uh, for the year, that you can walk through the Bible in a year. And my hope is that you would make that a yearly practice. That you would read through the Bible every single year so that you can grow, so that you can become more mature in your faith. We don't want you to just have the encounter with the gospel and get saved. We want you to savor the richness of the gospel and all of the goodness of God that surrounds every aspect of what he's done. But it all starts with knowing the gospel. We must know the gospel and remember the gospel. I'm sure at this point there are some people in here who are hearing all this. They're completely skeptical of the gospel piece, and maybe you're skeptical of everything in Christianity. And I get it. It's fair enough. In fact, I was at one point one of the most vocal opponents to Christianity. I I prided myself in systematically dismantling Christians who didn't know what they were talking about. And I thought that because I could do that, I had proven the gospel wrong. I couldn't comprehend how anybody who had two brain cells between their ears could really believe in some sky fairy who doled out blessings How does an intelligent person believe that? Listen, for the skeptic or for the Christian who has doubts and questions, which should be all of us, let me affirm something for you. That's okay. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. Listen, if somebody tells you that you cannot bring doubts, if somebody tells you that you cannot bring questions into the faith, get away from them because they have no idea what they're talking about. The Lord has compassion for us. He has love for us. He he refers to his people as his children. If there's one thing that I've learned from having five children, it's this. Children are full of questions. And they're also full of doubting my intentions for them. You see, I often fail and I get upset. When I've been peppered with a thousand and one questions and when I've been doubted for the last time, I'm like, good grief, just pull it together and do what I say. See, the Lord doesn't do that with us. He's gentle and gracious. 
And he could stand up to any one of our questions. See, part of the reason I get frustrated with my kids' questions is they ask me questions I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> or they doubt me and I, they actually have good reason to doubt me and I don't want them to doubt me because it's a hit to my ego. That's not the Lord. He knows that every one of our doubts and fears he can answer. All that said is that we need to know that the gospel and the rest of God's word, for that matter, is absolutely trustworthy. And this is our third point, trust the gospel. There's a host of evidence supporting the truth and authenticity of the gospel, all wrapped up just right here in 1 Corinthians 15. So let's just deal with that first. The first thing that can lead us to trust the gospel is that it was prophesied according to the rest of the scriptures, right? That thousands of years before some of this stuff happened, uh, before Jesus ever walked the earth, the Bible talked about him specifically. The Bible talked about uh, the, the gospel. Go look at Genesis chapter 3. The gospel's right there. Thousands of years before all this stuff played out. The second thing that helps us trust the gospel is simply who's writing the words to us. Remember who this is. This is Paul, who was once Saul, who was on a mission to do what? Murder Christians and exterminate Christianity. And now we find him here, and what is he doing? He's preaching the gospel. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about how amazing he is, and he's beckoning these people to come and experience God. That in and of itself is evidence of the authenticity of the gospel message. And the third thing right here is the eyewitness account. Look at verses 5 to 8. He, that is Jesus, appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. See, Paul lists a bunch of people who uh, Jesus appeared to them after he came back from the dead, right? He said, he said Cephas, he said the twelve minus Judas Iscariot, he said 500 people all at one time, and he says many of them are still alive. He says James, who's most likely Jesus' brother James. And he said all the apostles, so nobody's left out. And he says, lastly, to me, to Paul, why is this significant? It's significant because there are witnesses who could verify or refute what Paul was saying. This is eyewitness testimony, and for the readers in, in Paul's day, he is inviting them to investigate. He's inviting them to say, hey, go check this out. You don't believe me? Go ask. He, he, he's saying, listen, if there is doubts, if there's questions about this, I get it. That's fine. But there are people who are alive who saw this happen. Go ask them. We have to dig into this. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of exploring the authenticity of the gospel message and the authenticity of the scriptures because it'll, it'll stand up. See, I think to some extent, trusting the gospel involves testing the gospel. And I'm not afraid when, when people try to disprove the gospel because I know that there's such overwhelming evidence for its authenticity. There are many stories of skeptics who have sought to do this uh, to disprove the gospel, and they ended up as believers. C.S. Lewis was one of them. So keep asking questions, keep digging, but trust the gospel. So what does that mean to trust the gospel? Let's relate it to a common everyday thing. Every single one of you is using one right now, a chair, right? When you trust a chair, you believe that it's going to bear up under your weight. You believe that it's going to hold you. And when you sit in that chair, that is your faith in that chair being placed into action. That's your trust that it's going to hold up being proven. See, when you trust in the gospel, you believe in the death of Jesus for your sins, not just our sins, your sins, 
and his subsequent resurrection. And as a result, you live in such a way that the, 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 for the gospel to reflect that in your life. It means a rejection of sin, a turning from sin. We, begin, we should begin to recoil from sin because that sin was bad enough that it demanded that the Son of God be murdered on a cross. That should cause us to turn in disgust from sin. Second, it's a submission to the Lord's will rather than your own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says, you are not your own for you were bought with a price, which means Christ's follower, that the question is no longer what do I want to do with my life, but rather, Lord, what do you want to do with my life and how can I cooperate with that? The third thing is, is it doesn't mean we have a back, it means we don't have a backup plan. When we trust in the gospel, we relinquish all hopes of a fallback. We pin everything on him and on the gospel. See, listen, trusting the gospel involves living in such a way that we give others confidence to believe in the gospel themselves. The last thing I want to say about trusting the gospel, the gospel is available to anyone, anyone, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done. And this is supremely good news. There are no unwelcome people in the gospel. How do we know this? Listen, I'm not going to dig deeply into this, uh, but it's revealed in the language that Paul used while he's talking about this. That's one of the things I I really appreciate about Paul. He's got very intentional language. When he described himself, he referred to himself as one untimely born. Now, we read that and we're like, oh, that's kind of a strange statement. This word in the Greek is a very strong and emotionally stirring word. And it's the Greek word ektroma. The translations of ektroma place it somewhere between a stillborn baby and an aborted baby. This is the language that Paul's using. Paul compares himself to a baby that didn't make it to full term. See, here's the deal. Most people would have looked at Paul and they would have, they would have considered him worthless to Christ. They would have considered him worthless to the cause, that there is no hope, there is no life in him. And so that's why he says, like a, like a stillborn baby, Jesus appeared to me. There was no hope for me. There was no life in me. But Jesus pursued me. Remember, he had been completely committed to exterminating Christians. He was not pursuing Jesus in any way, but Jesus pursued him, and he came to the one who had no hope and had no life, and he gave him hope, and he gave him life. So I don't know who's in the room today. You need to understand no one is too far gone that the Lord can't redeem. And Paul uses graphic imagery to illustrate this point. Maybe you're here and the thing you need to hear today is that you are not too far gone. You're not damaged goods. You're not in the bargain bin at the store that Jesus is like, yeah, I guess I'll take them. You're an image bearer. And Jesus wants you to know him. Listen, I want to close with this. Have you believed the gospel? Or is there something holding you back? I'm not asking you to accept and affirm all 66 books of the Bible right now. Listen, we'll get there. (laughs) What I'm asking you is, have you believed the gospel? Have you said, it's mine? I'm asking 
is the Lord moving you to believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose from the dead. And if you're being moved to believe that, then we want to walk with you through that decision. We want to get you into community, a missional community group where you can grow, where other believers can help walk with you down this path of faith. It's where you can understand what happened when you believed that Jesus died and that he rose. And we want to pray for you to celebrate your new life in Christ. So we're going to have a time after we respond in worship where we can do that. If you, if you want to know Christ, if you want to pray to receive Christ, come talk to me. I'll be up here. Pastor Kevin's going to be up here as well. Come pray with us. Let's walk you through that. And if you need prayer for anything else, please come up. I'm going to have Matt Ulrich available in the back as well. But whatever the Lord tells you to do, I want you to respond. Let me pray for us.